A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimt waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kauten Schabes hat es getan. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Welcome, Geber. Welcome everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode about Rav Zundel Kreuzer has been generously sponsored L'Zecher Nishmas Rav Zundel Berman, Zundel ben Rabbi Yisrael Moshe, by the Berman and Dubinsky family. This Rav Zundel Berman, the cousin of the, uh, of the bookstore, was also a cousin of Rav Zundel Kreuzer. They're named for the same ancestor. And he was a son of Stisha Pesha uh, Kreuzer, whose father, Rav Chaim Yosef Kreuzer, was a brother of... Rebel Yotzvi Kreiser, the father of Reb Zundos, their first cousins. Um, this Rebetzin, uh, Stisha Pesha, and, and, uh, and Reb Zundel Kreiser. Um, this uh, Reb Zundel Berman's father was uh, um, Reb Meisha Berman, who uh, was the Manal of the Stalin School in Borough Park, and he's involved in the base Yaakov Williamsburg, a very famous Mechanach. Um, so that's the connection to the, to the subject of today. Um, before I get into Reb Zundel Kreiser and the world that he came from and the Kreiser family and the old Yishuv of Yerushalayim, I just wanted to read um, one or two letters from recent episode. Chernobyl, the, the two-part Chernobyl uh, episodes were very popular. got a lot of feedback, and I keep on getting uh, more more stuff. So I'm just choosing a, a couple of the better ones, uh, um, both for content and entertainment. The cuts... Episode also generated a lot of feedback. We'll wait for next time. I don't want to overburden you with uh, with the letters. There's an uh, apocryphal story that I got from one of our most dedicated and knowledgeable listeners, which is very entertaining. It's funny, so thank you for that. So I wanted to share that with you. So here's the story that he shared, which you know may may or may not have happened. Probably didn't, but it's a good joke. Um, the story is told that upon arriving at Ellis Island. A Rebbeshe Chernobyl couple stood in line as they watched a cold immigration official interrogate the immigrants. Almost mechanically, he would ask the questions, hardly looking up from his papers. The Rav and Rebbeson approached. The official lifted his eyes and looked at the Rebbe. Name, Tversky. The officer looked at papers and points his chin toward the Rebbeson. Name, Tversky. I mean your maiden name, Tversky. Maiden name, he repeats. Tversky, she repeats. Slightly exasperated, the officer looks at the rabbi. What's your mother's maiden name? The answer came in a nanosecond. Tversky. 
Let me repeat the the question. I will ask it slowly. What was your mother's maiden name? Tversky. The officer was turning beet red in frustration, and he shouted at both of them. And I presume that your grandfather's mother's maiden name was? All three said in unison, Tversky. The customs official was beside himself. He called over his supervisor and said to him, I think that this rabbi does not understand English. The rabbi looked at the supervisor and smiled. No, sir, I understand English. Your officer, however, however does not understand Tversky. So that's that. And here's another one. Apparently my... My um, my issue with the boots uh, still hasn't everyone hasn't calmed down about that yet. I keep on getting more complaints about the the Skvera boots. So here's a good letter I got. Um, Rabbi Yaakov Yasef, commonly referred to as the Rebbe Zechreinel of Racha, founder of New Square and father of the current Rebbe, wasn't the first Skvera scion in the United States. Son of his older brother came to the United States in the beginning of the 20th century. He was a grandfather of the current. Skver Barra Park and Skver Flatbush Rebbes. He was the oldest son of Reb David Skver, a grandson of the Chernobyl Magid. There were other brothers in between who were spread all about Eastern Europe. There was another brother in Kishinev, which was part of Romania then. He's the one who provided assistance to Reb Yaakov Yasef to actually settle in Romania in the city of Kolarash, following his departure from Bells. He lived in Bells for two years following his wedding to the daughter of Repinchas Tversky of Ostila, scion of Rachamastrivka who is a son-in-law of Rabbi Sachar Daiv, the Belzer Rebbe. Following Rabbi Sachar Daiv's passing and Rabbi Aaron becoming the Rebbe in Belz, Rabbi Pinchas left Belz and Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Tversky left Galicia to set up his court in Romania with the help of his older brother of Yitzchak. This brings me to another point, the boots. The stories vary, but in Skver and in Belz, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef actually wore short pants with white socks, but either his brother in Kishinev or his nephew in America, dropped the custom and started wearing regular long pants. So as not to offend them and seem more rebbish than his older counterparts, he adopted a compromise of wearing boots. It has nothing to do with the mud, etc. And here is yet another version of why he wore the boots. So you can choose whichever version sounds better to you or based on your research, I'm just sharing that other letter with another knowledgeable listener. Um, so... I actually just did a lecture, which is, was, was great. It was a lot of fun. A shul asked me to do on Nittelnacht. I zoomed in a, 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 a lecture on, uh, on Nittelnacht the other day. So I just wanted to remind you that I am available for lecture opportunities. If your shul or family or other sort of group wants to have an exciting and interesting, uh, engaging experience. Uh, of course, also sponsorships for episodes. You can be in touch with me about all that. Um, we move on to Rabzundel Kreuzer, the subject of tonight. Rabzundel was a, belonged to a different generation. He only passed away several years ago. Um, I knew him very well. I had the privilege of getting to know him in his later years, um, which I'll hopefully I'll get to with a few of my own uh, personal memories after we get past the history. Um, he was unique. He belonged to the Yerushalayim Shilmala, the old Yishuv of Yerushalayim and a certain holiness and purity about him, a very special individual. He lived in the Batei Breide, as it was popularly known officially, the Knesses neighborhood near Machna Yehuda, um, and um, like in a different, uh, in a different like uh, time frame. You, you like stepped into the past and you walked into the neighborhood and and you, you spoke to him and you're like you felt like you were a hundred years before. I think there is a bio- biography out about him uh, somewhere. I don't. I don't think I've ever read it. Um, but either way, 
just to give a little background to the Kreuzer family. He was part of a very prestigious uh, Yerushalmi family, the Kreuzers, who they intermarried with basically everyone. So this is a major component of old Yerushalmi life. The patriarch of the family was a fellow by the name of Rabbi Yosef Kreiser, who arrived in Yerushalayim in 1888, in his old age. And pretty soon he's followed by his son, Rabbi Yaakov Zundel Kreiser, which is all the Zundels that come afterwards, including Rabbi Zundel Kreiser himself, and the Rabbi Zundel Berman, and all the other uh, Eniklach of, of this. Uh, they're all named uh, originally for him. Um, so Rabbi Yaakov Zundel Kreiser uh, follows shortly there, uh, shortly after. And the, in fact, the name, Kreuz, the family originally, several generations before that, had come from a town in, in, uh, in Lithuania called Kreuz. There was actually a yeshiva there, a mid-century. I read a memoir, believe it or not, of, uh, of, of someone who attended this yeshiva that no one ever heard of. And it was a Valazhan-style yeshiva in the mid-1800s in Kreuz, which didn't last very long. It closed down after a while. But either way, that's the town that, the, that this family comes from. So Kreuzer is from the town of Kreuz. And uh, they arrive in the old Yishuv. What was the old Yishuv of Yerushalayim at the time? It was a growing community. Um, and it was a community in crisis, actually. The, the economics uh, were not working out for the community. It was under the Chalukah system, which every uh, group within the old Yishuv belonged to a Kailal, which, which didn't, does not, did not mean what, what a Kailal means today. Today, a koilal means, or married individuals get a stipend to, um, because they're part of a, uh, a, a learning, uh, a certain study of Torah institution, which is called a koil. At that time, a koil was more of like a kahal. It was more of like a communal, um, or even landsmanschaft, like they had in America. A, 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 based on your place of origin in Europe, the, the only common denominator was that they also received a stipend. And ostensibly, it was also to study Torah in the holy city of Yerushalayim. But they, I, I've spoken about it. I had a, an episode on the Chalukah system. Um, but either way, so it's divided into all these different kailalim, and they're all getting their Chalukah. There's the, the uh, growth of both the Jewish community, the old Yishuv, and of the city. The, after 1860, the city of Yerushalayim, they start to build outside of the old city walls. Until 1860, the entire city of Yerushalayim is only within the walls of the old city. And then they start going beyond that, Mishkinot Shananim and Nachal Shiva and, and Yemin Moshe and all those other neighborhoods, many of whom were funded by Moses Montefiore. And, um, and so there's a lot of growth. There's growth in the population and, and, and of the city itself. This is also during the time, the 1880s is the time of the first Aliyah, the first uh, settlements, the Rothschild colonies, agricultural settlements. So there's a lot going on. It's a, it's a time of transition. It's a time of change. The, the, it's a very religious community, the old Yishuv, but it's diverse. There's the Sephardic community, which they're more engaged in commerce, banking, and uh, you know, part of the Ottoman Empire. And it's actually the rotting Ottoman Empire. It's the Ottoman Empire in its last stages where it had already abandoned a lot of its invest, investment and in infrastructure and economy and all that. So it was not a, 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 a empire in its prime. Um, terrible poverty um, because of the failure of the Kail Chalukah system to sustain the growing population. Um, so there's, it's, it's a, you know, some of the personalities who lived in Yerushalayim at that time is 
is Rabbi Yeshua Leib Diskin and Rabbi Shmuel Salant and uh, um, the Lelavar Rebbe and the, the younger Rabbi Chaim Zunnefeld had just recently arrived in the city. So you're talking about it's a, a that's that's the place that the Kreisers arrive at and become a part of that world. So Rabbi Yaakov, it's interesting, I saw one of the sources brings that Rabbi Yaakov Zundel Kreiser studied together with the Leshem, with Rabbi Shleim Yashiv, which he also had an episode about. Um, so I was wondering where, because uh, this Rabbi Yaakov Zundel uh, Kreiser passed away before the Leshem arrived in Israel. So either the story is made up, um, which is fine, you know, it happens also. Or maybe they learned, to, they studied together in Lithuania, not even in Yerushalayim altogether, who knows. Either way, so his son is, is, uh, Reb Mordechai Yehishua Kreiser. And he goes ahead and marries a, a he marries someone named Chayasara Soloveitchik. Oh, Soloveitchiks. That's exciting. So who's that? Who's this Soloveitchik? So Reb Chaim Velazhin, or we go back to Reb Chaim Velazhin. And he had a daughter, um, who I discussed in, 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 uh, an episode on, uh, on Velazhin. He had a daughter named Relka. We've mentioned her in the past. And she marries Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik, who was a, a Rav in Slabatka. Her first marriage, her second marriage, she married a Kahana Shapiro, that branch of the family. Now, so one branch, that branch, this Soloveitchik branch, one branch of it goes down to the Beis Halevi and then Rabbi Chaim, but another branch was another son of this Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik, and his name was Rabbi Leo Tzvi. And this Rabbi Leo Tzvi had a son named Simcha, who's not to be confused with someone by the same name who the Beis Halevi had a son named Simcha from his third marriage who moved to the United States, was a rabbi in uh, in Brooklyn. That's a different person. So this Simcha is from another branch of the family. And this Simcha's daughter, uh, Chayasara, uh, marries Reb Mordechai Yeshua Kreiser. Um, so this, of course, why, why, why did I get into all this? This, of course, makes Reb Zundel Kreiser who came from this Reb Mordechai Yeshua, the grandson, um, a descendant of Reb Chaim Velazhener and a scion of the Soloveitchik family, which is not something we'd expect from a Yerushalmi family. We think of the Yerushalayim world as a different world, and here Reb Zundel was a descendant of Reb Chaim Velazhener, he's a descendant of the Soloveitchiks, so that puts him right into the elite of the uh, Lithuanian Torah world aristocracy. Mordechai Yeshua Kreiser was involved in the Diskin Orphanage way out in Givat Shol, which was basically outside of Yerushalayim in those days. He'd also deliver shiurim to the working men of Yerushalayim, including, very interesting, a special shear he gave to the milkmen of the, you know, he had a dairy route to people who delivered milk early in the morning. They would start their route at like four or five in the morning. They would deliver milk uh, to the, to the, to the Jews of Yerushalayim. So before they started their route, he would give a, a, a shear to the milkman. So you're talking about he's giving a share like two, three in the morning um, to the, this uh, unique uh, uh, group. His son is Rebilio Tzvi Kreiser, who's the father of Reb Zundel. Now Rebilio Tzvi studied with some of the greatest rabbis who had moved to Yerushalayim in, in their old age. Reb Zalman Sender Kahana Shapiro, who was formerly the Rosh Shiva in Malch. Reb Naftali Amsterdam, who was the famous student of Reb Yisrael Salanter and one of the big architects of the Musser movement, Rabbi Leo Kletzkin, who was a fascinating individual. He was the rabbi of Lublin in Poland um, before he moved to uh, Israel in his old age, um, Palestine at the time. So here we have just those three as an example of who Rabbi Leo Tzvi Kreiser had an exposure to, a Rosh Yeshiva, 
a great Rosh Hashiva, a great Balmusser, and a great community rabbi. Um, and he, this Rabbi Tzvi, which was unlike the accepted practice in the old Yeshiv at the time, but very common within the Kreuzer family, interestingly enough, at the time, he refused to accept money for learning, for the study of Torah, and instead he he did office work in the famous Yerushalmi Yeshiva Oihel Moshe, where he himself had learned, but he did office work there, and that's how he made a living. Two of his many chesed projects were were to go to the bakeries that did not have a hechsher, that did not have a mashgiach, and he would go ahead and voluntarily go do the hafrashas challah. And he didn't do it for any zgula or for anything uh, you know that became popular lately. He did it just so that people who would go buy in that bakery would be getting kosher bread. Um, another thing he would do, do is he would feed the chickens in the Machina Yehuda market, and and uh, and he would feed the birds uh, near his house. He would bring out. Uh, he he liked uh, he liked feeding the birds. Um, this is basically this is the home that Reb Zundel grew up in. It's very very interesting just to have that background. Once we're mentioning the Kreiser family, I want to just point out very quickly a few of the very important uncles, cousins, family members of the extended Kreiser family of Reb Zundel and those that married into the family, to give a feeling and a sense of the spread and the diversity of an old Yishev family through the generations. Um, very different types of people. And I'm just mentioning a couple. There's really, I could, 20, 30 different people in the Kreiser family who who achieved uh, distinction. So one of them, one of the ones who married in was Rabaran Katznellenbogen, the Rosh Hashiva of Teira He was the head of the Naturi Karta. I spoke about him uh, on the Naturi Karta episode. There was Reb Chaim Yosef Kreuzer, who was an activist who I mentioned before in Shari Chesed. He was a founder of the Chevra Mishnayis there. He signed on the appointment of Reb Chaim Zunenfeld to become the head of the Eid Haredis. And what he did for, he was a big Talmud Chacham, what he did for a living, he worked as a bookkeeper. Um, there's the whole Berman branch that I mentioned before. There's Reb Shmuel Kreuzer, a, a fascinating person who was a scholar he translated the the Sefer Me'am Loyes compendium by Rabbi Yaakov Kuli. He translated it from Ladino. It was originally written Ladino, and he translated it into Hebrew, and he titled it the multi-volume Yalkut Me'am Loyes, which till today is a very famous and popular Sefer multi-volume. Rabbi Ari Kaplan, interestingly enough, did uh, basically the same thing from from the original, uh, taught himself Ladino and translated it into English. So this Rabbi Shmuel Kreiser who's not as well-known as Rabbi Kaplan, he did that, the original one, uh, the Alkut Me'am lays into Hebrew. There's um, Rabbi Meisha Aaron Stern, um, who's the grandson of, of, of Rabbi Akeser Herman, all for the boss. He was a mashgiach in the common Yeshiva. He married into the Kreiser family. There's another uh, a fellow named Amnon Kreiser, who was an executive at Bank Alim. He was part of the Kreiser family. Uh, there was Rabbi Meisha Pudrabinik, who was an altamirer from Shanghai, who settled in Israel, married a Kreiser, and he was later the Rosh Yeshiva of all places, the Breslov Yeshiva in Bnei Brak. I don't know how many Altamirs were involved with Breslov. Either way, there's various members of the family who are rabbis, activists in Yerushalayim life. Seifer, there was one who was in charge of the Yerushalayim Erev. There were various Rosh Yeshiva and community rabbis and all kinds of people in the media and activists and political and whatever. A big, huge very influential family that originated from Lithuania and settled in Yerushalayim in the 19th century, and they branched out. Um, so Reb Zundel himself, we finally get to him, um, like most Yerushalmis of his day, he went to the Eitz Chaim 
uh, yeshiva. He was very close with the Rosh Yeshiva Veitz Chaim Rebbe Zalman Meltzer, who believed in him, and he wanted him to be able to be supported after his marriage, to be able to devote himself to Torah study. So he convinced someone named Gershon Levine to enter into an official Yisachar Zvulin contract. And in fact, uh, Rebbe Zalman's famous Rebetzin Bela Hinda was the one who wrote the contract, and it was a very official contract that Rebetzin Bela Hinda wrote, and they signed on, and that they, he would be able to be supported. Um, he became, Reb Zundel became renowned for his hasmado. This would become his feature, his dominant trait throughout his life. He never wasted a minute. He was always learning, always studying Torah. Um, he was part of a Yerushalmi group, which was led by Reb Chaim Brim and Reb Meishashia Landau, or Yudel Shapiro was involved, there was others who were very close with the Chazenish. There was a bunch of young Yerushalmis in, at that time, in the 1940s and 50s, who used to travel to Bnei Brak to uh, become close with the Chazanish, and they became his closest students. Um, Sir Zundel saw the Chazanish as his primary rebbe. Um, he Zundel, when he became old enough, and he needed to support himself eventually, so he refused to take a rabbinical position, and he subsequently became a malamed. He taught young children. This this man who knew Kolatay Rakula was one of the biggest Talmud Chacham in Yerushalayim. In order to support himself, he became a teacher. He loved teaching children, and he was. He 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 um he uh, served in several Yerushalayim cheders, the Yitzchayim, his own alma mater, Meisharim, and for a while he was actually in a couple a couple of cheders in Bnei Brak, and the Bells cheder, and the Tashbar, and others. Um, so he uh, he 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 even moved to Lugano in, in Switzerland for a year to establish a cheder to help establish a cheder in Lugano, Switzerland. While he was in Bnei Brak, so allegedly, again, it's hard to verify these stories, uh, but allegedly the stipler told his son, Reb Chaim Kanievsky, may live and be well, to use Reb Zundel as his role model. Very interesting. Um, in his later years, uh, Reb Zundel was involved in the Kamenitz Yeshiva in Yerushalayim, the Chabin Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. He also ran a Gemach, an interest-free loan um, into, to help others, which he ran. He uh, ran the finances of it also. He, he uh, was very proficient in Kabbalah as well. He was very close with his much younger contemporary, Rabbi Gamliel Rabinovich, who was very close with him. One of the, one of the, clo- the closest uh, students of his was Rabbi Gamliel. He saw him as a chavrusa, more than a student even. And um, um, there, a, a, if I have time, I'll even relate some stories that Rabbi Gamliel said uh, about uh, his relationship with, uh, with Rabbi Zundel. Either way, Rabbi Zundel, he was someone who shied away from the spotlight. He tried not to be involved in public service activities or politics. Once he was actually, uh, he did get involved. He was sent on a mission by, um, by Rabbi Menachem Parash, uh, who was, uh, served in the Knesset for Agudas Yisrael. So he was sent, uh, Rabbi Zundel was sent by him to the Ger Rebbe, the Beis Yisrael, on some Agudah-related uh, issue. Um, Reb Zundel became famous for his enormously diverse and also popular set of sfarim entitled Or HaChama. He wrote on almost every subject under the sp- sun, spanning the gamut of Kolotayrakula, of everything. He wrote on everything. He knew everything. Uh, amazingly uh, diverse knowledge. He wrote over 30 volumes of Or HaChama on all subjects. So just uh, a few stories to to get a feeling for who this great person was, is, was, excuse me. Um, was, there was a story that, that was set over. I remember hearing it when uh, he was alive. I remember hearing it uh, during, uh, right after his passing. I couldn't find the source for it. So 
you know, if you quote me, then then you have to quote me that I was not sure about the source. So who knows if it's true? Um, could be it is, could be it isn't. And if it is, I hope so, because it's a fantastic story and kind of typifies who he was. That uh, he was someone who davened Vasikin every day. That part is for sure it's true. And one day in his old age, he was being escorted by a grandchild and he, uh, in Bate Breda, in his neighborhood, and he was, he fell. He fell, unfortunately, on the way to davening Vasikin. And uh, because he fell, his grandson escorted him home to check to see, make sure nothing was wrong and to bandage it up, whatever it was. And when they took a few minutes and they started walking back to shul. And, um, and uh, his, son, his grandson said, if we rush, if we hurry, we can still chap it. We can still make it for the Vasikin. And Reb Zundel says, I, I don't do that. I don't rush into shul and chap things and to, just to get in and we'll be late. We'll be ready a few minutes late. We'll make the next minion. We won't make Vasikin. So his grandson tells him, you haven't missed a Vasikin minion in like 80 years. You have like a perfect record. So Reb Zundel turns to him and says, yeah, but I fell today. And that was it. And and that's that's how he saw. He didn't see himself as a Cal Ripken that he's he's breaking a re- consecutive streak uh, of Vasik and Davening. He he felt you're supposed to do whatever Hashem wants of you in any given situation. That's what you're supposed to do. You're not there to break any records. So I for 80 years I daven Vasikim, but today I fell, so I can't daven Vasikim. Um, like I said, Rabbi Novich was one of the closest people to him. They studied together. Um, I think on a daily basis, if I'm not mistaken. And he relates many stories about Reb Zundel. Many of them are written up online and other places. You can find them. So I'll just share a couple of gems that he uh, that he said, Reb Gamil said. Um, someone once asked uh, Reb Zundel advice about a New Year's resolution before Rosh Hashanah. What should he resolve to undertake for the New Year? And Reb Zundel said to him, you should resolve to learn one more minute every day. Well, add an extra minute. One minute. To your schedule, to, to every day, the study of Torah, to understand the value of one minute. He, to, to, the value of time was something that was utmost to him. Like I said, he was very meticulous with his schedule and his time. And so one of the things that he did is he would try, when he was home, he would try to answer the phone at the first ring. Why? Because he didn't want to waste the time of whoever's calling. So he always lunged for the phone. And he expected the same of Rabbi Gamliel when he called him. So one time when Reb Zundel was calling uh, Rabbi Gamliel, it took a while for Rabbi Gamliel to reach the phone. So when he answered, Reb Zundel said, you wasted 45 seconds of my time. He wanted to instill in him the importance of every second. So it, it, if he would daven in the shtibel in, in Bate Breide, in Yerushalayim, uh, he would, there would be several minyanim going on at once. If you're going in for mincha, so he wouldn't want people to stand up for him. Uh, so he would wait around till it was almost Kedusha, when everyone was standing up anyway, and then he would quickly walk into the next uh, room where his minion was, so that no one would be standing up for him. He had a tremendous modesty, almost an unbelievable story. It's, it's like hard to, it's hard to even relate to this story. He never ate meat. So Rabbi once asked him, why, did you, why don't you eat meat? So Rabbi Zindel says, because the Gemara says that an Am Haaretz should not eat meat. Someone who's an Amaretz, he's not proficient in Torah knowledge. So Rungalil says to him, you're the author of the Arachama. You, who I mean, who's, who doesn't, who knows more Torah than you? So, uh, Sir Abzendel said, yeah, it's a, a good safer and I guess people enjoy it. But what would the Chazenish say? I don't know if he would consider me anything more than Amaretz. His standard was so high. And because of that, he never ate meat. 
He was very punctual, like I said, when he was involved in the yeshiva in Chabin. He never missed a day. He was always right on time. And he left exactly on time at the end of the Seder. He never made any fuss. He was anyone who asked him questions during his time there. He was clear and precise and very concise, short answers. And if you didn't understand it, he would repeat it patiently with a smile for anyone who didn't understand. And the people, the students of his there in Shabin, just they said just being in his presence was something special and something to remember. So on that note, I want to be, share just for a few minutes uh, my own personal memories of Reb Zundel. Uh, what Reb Zundel's custom was and what the yeshiva guys in Yerushalayim would often do was that uh, in Bate Breda, where he lived, there was a shul, and the Yavim Vasikin. So Shabbos morning, he had he opened his house, basically. And the American yeshiva guys, in the Mir, and Brisk, and other places, they would go, not they, whatever, they, you know, a few, a few guys would go uh, uh, every Shabbos morning uh, to Davin in, in Bate Breda, and then he would invite all of them over to his house for Kiddush. That's, that's how I got to know him. So several times... And do it, and do it. Yeah, did a few times. Uh, you know, some people did it more often. Some other ones, others did it for one time experience. I did it a few times, and um, and uh, so you'd go there. He was this quiet tzaddik. You'd go just to see him before you even went to his house, just by davening, to go to see him, to watch him daven to this holy little place in Bate Breda, this hidden away neighborhood that most people never even heard of. Uh, um, right outside Nachlaod, right outside the Machane Yehudashuk, in the middle of town. And there's this little old Yerushalmi neighborhood that you feel like you're walking into the past, uh, into another era. And um, in fact, he wasn't the only attraction there. Um, it was quite a few people, that little minion. I think most of them already have uh, have passed on. But in those days, um, there was the rabbi, the rabbi of the neighborhood, Rabbi Misha Fisher who is part of the Fisher family, who is the brother of Rabbi Israel Yaakov Fisher and Rabbi Shlomo Fisher. And um, he, he was the rabbi of the shul. There was Rabbi Nassim Kuperstock, who was one of the old Sadiqim of Yerushalayim, and uh, Rabbi Salant, who we, we'd go actually to his house also. He would have, we would have Kiddush by him whenever we were finished, Rabbi Zundel. I remember Rabbi Salant would come over to us and he would say, Nach Rabbi Zundel, come to me. After Rabbi Zundel, come to he knew every He knew we came to Rabbi Zundel and he said, come to my house when we're done. We would schmooze with him. He, amazing people. Really, really special to have been exposed to to such people. But the main attraction was Reb Zundel Kreiser. And all the yeshiva guys would be invited to his home for Kiddush after Vasikin. We would walk him home, which was, you know, a couple of minutes away. Then he made Kiddush. He would make Kiddush. He wasn't eating his suda. He was just making a Kiddush. And I never saw this anywhere else. He made it on two ragalach because of Lechem Mishnah. I never saw someone do Lechem Mishnah on ragalach. But that's what he did. And after a couple of minutes when everyone would be eating, finished eating, so he would start, there would be like kind of the semicircle, about, about 20 Bacharim, 20 yeshiva students uh, would be uh, there on, on an average week, sometimes more, sometimes less. And they would be sitting around like in kind of like a semicircle. And he'd start from one end, one side of the room, and he would point to the first boy and say, Frega Shaila. Ask a question. And everyone knew that this was his custom. So when you went to him, you came prepared with a question. What, what type of question? Something in, in Torah. Something that, uh, it could be anything you wanted. And you prepared anything you wanted. It could be from the Parsha. It could be from the Masechta that they were studying in whatever yeshiva you were in. It could be in Halacha. He was very proficient in Halacha. He was a Paisik also. And it could be totally random topics from totally random Sfarim or whatever it was. 
Now, and you didn't, he didn't know what questions were coming. And there was like 20 people there. It could be diverse topics. And it was an amazing thing to see. He, it was a sight to see. As you were finishing your question, he'd begin to answer. He shot it out. No hesitation. No, didn't even take a second to think about it. It was an unbelievable phenomenon that I witnessed countless times again and again and again. Um, he had everything on his fingertips. It, it was, it was, I mean, uh, doesn't sound very, very scientific what I'm saying, but it, it sounds a little bit too passionate. But it, it was really unbelievable. It was, it was, he spot, he was very soft spoken with a clarity. And he knew everything instantly uh, around the whole semicircle. And he had a great sense of humor, too. He, he, he loved the mirror. He loved the mirror yeshiva. In fact, uh, the older Blaise Yudel Finkel many years ago had asked him to tutor uh, when, when his great nephew, the Rosh Yeshiva, that's our Rosh Finkel, had come to, to study in the mirror as a teenager. So Blaise Yudel Finkel had asked him, asked Reb Zundel to tutor Reb Nassim the younger Reb Nassim Svi, and, and, and the Rosh Yeshiva kept a maintained a relationship with him uh, uh, you know throughout throughout their lives uh, um, um, they maintained a close relationship uh, the Rashiva had utmost respect for uh, for Abzundel. Um so either way he, he loved the mirror but he would like teasing the briskers he, so he, when they would ask him their Kutchim questions he would tease them a little bit about oh, the brisk and knowing Kutchim. he would he would very often ask which yeshiva you were from so you would know he would know, uh, he know whom to tease. Um, he once, uh, he once teased another brisker. I saw, uh, he, he said to him, why don't you eat another rugula? So the, the, the guy said, I, I had enough. I, thank you. I appreciate it. So he said, no, you're a brisker. You didn't eat the right shear for an alamicha. You have to eat another rugula. So another time someone asked him that, uh, he said to him, he said to him, you know, Parshas Para from the four Parshias, that we say before Pesach, he said there's a, an opinion in Halacha that Parshas Para is a suffix dairaisa. It might be, it might be dairaisa. It might be required by the Torah to hear Parshas Para. So how come we don't have a special laning for the women? Uh, like by Parshas Zachar. Parshas Zachar, there's special lanings for women to, that they should, they should uh, hear the Parshas Zachar. So if Parshas Para is a suffix dairaisa, so we should have laning for women. Little did the questioner realize that Reb Zundel didn't care for new made-up chumras. So he says to him, I didn't know that Parsha Zachar had laning for women, so it's hard for me to understand your question about uh, Parsha Zpara to have them laning for women as well. He was a bit of a litvak when it came to brachas. But everyone asked him for, for one when, 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 they, when we left. Uh, so my friend uh, was uh, leaving Israel after a couple of years, you know, studying in yeshiva here, so he asked him for a bracha for a shidduch. So Reb Zundel responded, he was also very concise, he says to him, kach v'leich. So my friend thought he didn't hear, and he didn't understand, so he said, I'm asking for a bracha for a shidduch. So Reb Zundel repeated it, he said, kach v'leich. So we left at the time without understanding, what we had no idea what he meant. Okay. Months later, we got up to the parsha of Chayesar, and it finally dawned on me what he meant. It's what Lavan says to Eliezer about Rivka when she's the shidduch for Yitzchak. Lavan says to Eliezer for, for about Rivka for Yitzchak. He says to he says to him Kach v'leich. So that was the cryptic short bracha for a shidduch that he should get someone like uh, Rivka. So that's um, about the great Rabzundel Kreiser. 
And this is Yehuda Geber of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, sponsorships, lectures, tours, virtual tours. And you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.